the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. The lack of transparency and substance being attached to ESG announcements in shipping has become a pretty consistent theme of this podcast over the last few years. I've paraded a pretty long queue of earnest environmentalists and eager executives in front of you, all telling you that change is afoot. But what does that actually mean? What does that look like in terms of boardroom decisions? And are decisions actually being made, or are they just being talked about? There's certainly no shortage of press releases in my inbox touting ESG credentials, but as one of the more honest ship owners I spoke to this week told me bluntly, we don't have the balance sheet to save the world. That's for somebody else to worry about. The reality is that many, if not most, climate policies being triumphantly announced by companies and arguably governments, well, they lack depth, they lack detail and credible intermediate targets if you're measuring them against strict science-based targets that are aligned to the Paris 1.5 degree goals. And before you disappear in a huff because I'm on my soapbox once again bashing the industry, that's not what this week is about. Creating credible ESG strategies is difficult. Quite apart from the lack of regulatory or pricing certainty, the corporate overhauls required to genuinely change processes and future-proof company initiatives for tomorrow is a step above what most small companies struggling to keep up with today's compliance challenges are up to right now. And that's a problem, because while the large corporates are racing ahead with sustainability initiatives chasing a competitive advantage today, tomorrow that same sustainability requirement becomes about having a license to operate. What's voluntary right now is going to become mandatory requirements for companies, and it will be important when they seek to raise capital or are looking for cargo. Shipping has fallen behind other industries on ESG commitments. Those that have made progress are mainly the large global companies, representing only a fraction of the world fleet. Thousands of vessels, millions of seafarers, gigatons of CO2 are currently not covered by ESG ambitions. And this is not about deliberate greenwashing. This is about the sheer scale of change required from companies over the next few years, and the fact that, realistically, many shipping companies are struggling. Which is why the good people at the Merce McKinney Moller Centre for Zero Carbon Shipping, and bad acronyms, have teamed up with Boston Consulting Group, BCG to you and me, They've produced an ESG playbook for shipping. It's an interesting read. It raises some interesting questions. So I've brought in two of the people behind it for a chat this week. Tanya Dalgard is the Chief Strategy and Operations Officer and part of the leadership team at the Merce McKinney Moller Centre. Peter Jameson is the Global Topic Lead for Sustainability and Climate within BCG's Infrastructure, Cities and Transport team. I've also asked Dr. John Mark Bonello in for his views on some of this, because he's the principal consultant at UMass International and a lead author of the Sea Cargo Charter and a co-author of the fourth IMO Greenhouse Gas Study. But he's also been working on the Science-Based Targets Initiative for Maritime, which I think offer an important take on shipping's decarbonisation trajectory. But more on that shortly. Because I want to start with Tanya and Peter, who are trying to solve a problem, or more accurately, a series of problems, with their playbook approach. I think there are four key things here that the what we're trying to do with this playbook is, one, um, this topic of ESG, environmental social governance, that's even getting one hurdle for some people in the industry, understanding what ESG is. But it's, it's really trying to take that complex, very complex landscape of rules, regulations, opportunities, 
and trying in a way to simplify it um, and simplify it for not the MERSCs, not the MSCs, not the CMAs of the world, but actually the average ship owner who only has seven vessels. What do they do? How do they break down this problem? So that's what we're trying to do from a simplicity perspective. The other thing that we're driving towards, and this is absolutely critical, we've moved past the stage of rhetoric. Now we need to get to uh, real plans, real tangible, measurable plans. And what we're advocating for in this playbook is what are some of those plans? What are the KPIs that you can use to to measure um, these and effectively become and hold yourselves accountable and also give transparency to your stakeholders around what you're trying to achieve? Um, the, the third point is it's not just about uh, compliance. This is not just about ticking the boxes for the EU or for the IMO. This is This is actually about getting value from this as well. And we actually see in the industry those people that are performing well on ESG, they also do well on their overall company performance uh, as well. So focus on value creation, not just tick box exercise. Um, and then the fourth thing is, you know, this is not just about setting targets. It's about actually engaging an organization to achieve the targets that you're trying to make. So ESG is really, it covers the holistic view of how do you actually move a, um, a, a company. And to that end, and, you know, the example that we've just had with Navigator Gas actually running this is just the criticality of having senior leadership, the CEO and his management team on board with this so that it doesn't sit somewhere buried in the organization. So those are the, really the four things. And for me, that kind of addresses some of your concerns around greenwashing, uh, the plans. What we're trying to do is exactly that. Measure them, have plans, make sure they're credible, anchor them at the right port of the organization and make it transparent. Um, and again, going back to, to my point earlier, this is not this is not the MSCs, the Mersks of the world. This is those people that really don't know how to break this problem down in a, in a structured way. And I do think that this is not an intentional greenwashing from any companies. There might be a few, but I don't think it's a general thing that you have intentional greenwashing. But I do think that it is a challenge that the companies don't know how to start with this. They don't have the holistic overview of what is required. They might have a decarbonization target, but they're not seeing it as an umbrella of both E, S and G. And there's generally a social um, concern in the society around covering all topics, even if you disregard all the regulatory and the requirement from the investors. So I do think that what this playbook does is that it breaks it down into eatable pieces, describing what do you need to have. And it is so important to make it have concrete plan and make it measurable and make it public because that will hold you accountable. So it is actually not a greenwashing exercise. And I think one of the things we learned from our, we have these 24 corporate partners working in the center and they are all very well on their way with um, ESG strategies and action plans. And we have learned so much from them. And that is what we are putting into this playbook. We are sharing that knowledge to the benefit of the small, medium-sized enterprises as well. The point about small to medium-sized companies being the target here is key. Regular listeners will have heard me make this point repeatedly. But the average shipping company, which owns around five vessels, is seriously under pressure right now. Vetting, compliance, access to finance, the amount of time and effort and the teams you have to hire to put together just to make sure that your sanctions compliance, emissions compliant, and you've got the technology all pointing in the right direction. The cards are stacked against you right now, and it's only going to get worse. The gap between what the likes of Maersk are capable of delivering and the average shipping company is vast. 
Well, I I think the gap is that they don't know how to get started. I think it is as simple as that because there is a significant potential in working with the small and medium-sized shipping companies. As you are saying, they represent thousands of vessels, but also millions of seafarers and gigatons of CO2 that are currently not covered by ESG emissions. And I think there is a gap there. They don't know how to apply ESG. That Maybe they don't even understand the magnitude. And one of the things that... Uh, BCG, and you can maybe elaborate on that, Peter, suggests here is to make a materiality assessment of what is needed for their own business and then some concrete action. And I think one of the beauties of this work is that this will be anchored both at employee level and, as Peter said, on board level as well. And that anchoring in the organization also creates obligations to actually deliver because you will be measured on all this. So I think that's that's the issue around the small and medium enterprises. They don't know how to do it. And, and they think it, it's difficult to oversee the entire process. And then what uh, Peter and the team is doing, and us as well, when we do this, is that we break it into bites and we prioritize. You have to start with these few things and not all of it. I, yeah, I really want to build on a really good point there. And look, if we look at the, the average shipping company, and I've had discussions with these shipping companies all around the world, they're not going to sit there and say, you know, we're not doing anything about uh, biodiversity protection. We're not doing anything on corporate governance. We're not doing anything on cybersecurity, some of the material topics for the industry. Of course, they're doing some of these things already because there's the compliance element. The challenge that most of these companies are facing is they're doing lots of things that aren't necessarily connected and aren't connected to the di overall direction of the of the the company itself both from a mitigating risk but also creating opportunities so i i'm not pointing at this part of the industry and saying they're doing nothing and they have done nothing that's not the point here the point is is how do we be more focused how do we more more targeted on on achieving the kpis um, that we're all aiming to to and will be forced to achieve so it, it's it's that prioritization richard one of the points that the playbook hammers home is that today, sustainability can provide a competitive advantage. But tomorrow, sustainability will become a license to operate. So while we are now hearing this couched in the encouraging language of emphasising the carrots on offer, the reality is that there is a very big stick waiting for those who don't move, waiting just around the corner. And I wonder whether that reality has quite hit home yet for those people who are apparently just starting to look at the ESG playbooks. I, I don't think that it, it is hard hitter yet, but I think that companies are being increasingly aware of that this is coming. And that's actually also something we are doing, both us and Boston Consulting Group. We are working on actually promoting that this is going to hit you guys and you have to take that in as a reality. But to be honest, my hope is also that these company is doing this because it is the right thing to do. And I'm not naive. I know that the bottom line counts. But there is a lot of things around this that is very, very important. And, and it is, as you said, it's your license to operate. And it's also the social acceptance. We have seen a lot of companies getting into troubles for only having headlines and not real action plans below uh, in the papers uh, throughout the last couple of years. And I actually think that is a reality that also hit the companies. They, they, are, they are being uh, concerned about being hit by a storm, by not being proactive and ready to have these discussions. Um, and that's also what an ESG framework provides. That is the readiness to have these discussions. And, and you're seeing more and more of it. 
I, I have this analogy in my mind of the carrot and the stick. Um, the carrot is not big enough and the stick is not big enough at the moment, but they're growing, right? So, for example, if you talk about um, the opportunities here, if you're doing something about this, you can, access, you can actually access cheaper finance uh, as a result of having ESG targets and a roadmap. Is that uh, cheaper finance? Is it cheap enough yet? That 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 for me is 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 the size of the challenge. And then if you come from a stick perspective, is is CI is the CII index and the way that the IMO is tackling this? Is it going to um, knee jerk the the, uh, the the maritime fleet into taking comprehensive action? No, not yet. But all of these things are at least a step in the right direction, which is why people are now waking up to the fact that this is moving and it's changing. Um, and I think we're past this stage where people are sitting on the fence um, and just waiting for this thing to come. I can see people now are more intrigued about this, are, are downloading the playbook, are asking these questions, at least in the, in the business and, and services that we're offering. Um, there are far more questions coming through now than there ever have been before in the last years. Um, so the carrots and sticks, they're growing in size, but uh, it's, it's not going to move 100,000 uh, plus vessels uh, overnight with the, with the kind of um, incentives and pressure that there is yet. Peter is, of course, right. Things like this don't move overnight. And the reality is that the fragmented nature of the industry will see some companies and sectors move faster than others. But equally, none of this is new. And while some are encouraging a first look at ESG strategies... At the other end of the spectrum, many are now advocating for much stricter assessments of strategies to be measured against more rigorous and verified trajectories. The Science-Based Targets Initiative, SBTI, has issued guidance charting a pathway for shipping companies to commit to cutting carbon in line with the Paris Agreement. And it is a road that will see participants agree to cut emissions to practically zero by 2040. The non-profit program, described as the gold standard for certifying companies' decarbonisation targets, last year set out a trajectory for aligning shipping with halting global warming at 1.5 degrees. That's the Paris-aligned target. Jean-Marc Bonello is the leading technical advisor for the Poseidon Principles and has worked with various owners, operators and stakeholders to understand the implications of aligning shipping's activities with science-based climate targets and providing evidence to inform decisions around current operations and future investments. So I asked him about the gap between those looking at the playbook approach, starting to figure out ESG policies, compared with the experience and expectations of science-based targets, which realistically requires a much more stringent set of tangible decisions to be already underway. I think from uh, Merck's playbook, obviously, because it was tackling um, the three prongs, sort of ESG, by nature, it has to be quite um, sort of woolly on the details because there's so much it's trying to capture. Um, so it's it's quite a tough um, tough gig to satisfy that. But I think um, SBTI, yes, as you said, it is it was sort of a world first, especially in the shipping sector. Was the shipping guidance was the first guidance that was um, specifically 1.5 degree aligned. So it was sort of translating what the IPCC, what the science is telling us, needs to happen by 2050 in order for us to avoid sort of catastrophic climate change. Um, and I think environment uh, from the ESG is one of the easier is one of the easiest ones to measure because 
we can measure where we're, where we are right now in terms of um, carbon inventory and what each company is doing. Maybe the information is not there, but someone has that information. So it's a question of building the relationships um, to get that information. We know where we need to be in 2050. And frameworks like SBTI are telling us, look, this is the pathway that we need to take, a give or a take some uncertainty around how the future is going to unfold. Um, but it's, it's quite um, a, uh, a well-defined pathway or a series of actions that need to be taken um, on a high level. How that works out granularly, um, you always have the discussions about biofuels, yes or no, fuel supply, technology, LNG. Um, but this is defined sort of top down. This is what needs to happen for us to align 1.5. So I think if a company decides to embrace um, um, the SBTI framework, which in itself has sort of the, the commitment side and public commitment, but then also measuring, taking stock, setting targets, setting plans in place, and then reviewing that and disclosing what you're, how you're performing against that. I think that gives a really robust way of um, understanding what you need to achieve, setting um, appropriate targets and actions, but also being able to disclose that um, internally, but also publicly um, to sort of measure how you're doing as well. So I think it is, it is quite a good, a powerful tool in, in our toolbox. Um, to avoid um, greenwashing if used correctly. And that scrutiny is important because the lack of transparency or substance being attached to these ESG announcements, generally in shipping, has become a pretty consistent theme as a problem. Many climate policies have been trumpeted in the wake of things like the COP meetings or various industry initiatives, announcing the fact that shipping is moving forward. But by and large, shipping still lacks depth and credible strategies when it comes to ESG. But I think it, it's, a, it's a victim of its own nature because shipping is so fragmented in the way it is um, regulated, administered um, to several different stakeholders looking at their own interests. Um, it's quite difficult to get that. But um, if we look more holistically at sort of what shipping is doing and what's happening, uh, maybe moving away from industry, but more on the, on the policy and uh, regulatory side. Um, it is at the, at the forefront of ambition, at least. And so when compared to aviation, for example, which is maybe the easiest um, proxy, um, the targets set out for shipping are much more specific. And increasingly, as we, as we build up towards um, MEPC 80, sort of the, the magic meeting, which we're all waiting for to see what the um, uh, update or revision of the initial strategy will be. We've seen countries like um, the submissions have just gone in last week. So we've seen sort of Canada, the UK and the US coming out very strongly, specifically mentioning SBTI as, as the way that they would like to see the IMO move together with the, with the Pacific states as well, which have always been um, pushing for the highest ambition as well. And that also comes into sort of the, the discussion around the U, what the UN is telling us is the right way of setting targets as well. So we see the UN high-level expert group, um, their, their um, target setting guidance at the end of last year, as well as the, the UN climate champions. Um, they, they do see science-based targets um, and in the, in the sort of shipping side of those efforts also, 
the maritime guidance for SPTI as being a really robust um, way of defining what um, the industry needs to do. So maybe industry is still finding its feet because the scale of the change and the decisions that need to be made now um, for for the companies or with or whoever the stakeholder is to be in a good place 20, 30 years down the line is a really hard decision to make in the boardroom. Um, but sort of the I think the structure is there for that um, definition of the of the granularity. So should we be positive that efforts like the playbook are leading those not yet engaged in the right direction? Or concerned that we're this far down the line and still waiting for executives to engage in the climate starter pack? Well, probably a bit of both as ever. The room for genuine greenwashing, promises that are more hot air than actual commitment, that's diminishing. The kind of informed conversations that we're having with different stakeholders are completely different to the ones that we were having even three to six months ago. And that's a view I know is shared by many serious science-based experts. So the signs are positive. Obviously, there's a lot of rhetoric that needs to be turned into action, but things are at least starting to become more ambitious. And that's where I'm going to leave it this week, on a positive note. But not before thanking Tanya, Peter and John Mark for their time and expertise this week. We are going to be back again next week with more thoughts and expert insights on the story shaping shipping. But for now, thank you for listening and have a good week.